This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. So a seven-point gap to the league leaders wasn't exactly the way we all saw 2023 starting, but the best laid plans and all that. Welcome to the Blue Moon podcast, where we'll be taking in some big topics after that one-all draw with Everton. Erling Haaland is breaking records with his goal scoring, but is there a problem with the rest of the team playing with him? Phil Foden has been consistently one of the most creative players, so why has he been a bit part player since the World Cup? With inverted wingers and inverted fullbacks, does City have an issue with width, especially when opponents sit deep? We'll try to get to the bottom of all of that on today's show. Plus, later on, we'll also hear from the former Premier League referee Mark Halsey. That's after Everton's unfortunately successful efforts at killing the game and keeping the ball out of play. We're talking time-wasting and what can be done to stop it. And we're coming to you slightly earlier in the week than normal because of a really badly timed clash with Chelsea. So there's actually three matches to preview on today's episode. Two against Graham Potter's side before the Carabao Cup quarter-final trip to Southampton. Saints journalist Sam Ty will join us later too. I'm David Mooney and joining me this week are City fans Kieran Murray Hello Blue and Adam Monk Hello Hello so happy well I was going to say Happy New Year to you both but it uh, it turned out not to be with the uh, with the Everton game um, did you get over oh, it Oh that was so last year David Oh uh, yeah 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 <laughs> did you get over it quickly enough Adam Good New Year uh, yeah, because New Year's Eve was sort of looming a couple of hours later, so I had somewhere to be, something to take my mind off it. It was one of them, really. So it didn't hit quite as hard as the Brentford loss, where then I think we just went into the World Cup and we had to <laughs> sort of mull on it. Um, and yeah, I guess that's the only silver lining, really. Games coming thick and fast, you know. And um, you know, I've been recovering from a hangover on the first, second, you sort of recover then, and now we're on to the third recording this, so... Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad actually after it. <laughs> good, good. Uh, Kieran, the, the the thing to remember, I guess, at this stage is, yeah, it was a disappointing result, but um, seven points after 16 games is is it's not insurmountable. No, it's not. Um, I think people keep seeing Christmas as a sort of like halfway point or a benchmark, but because of the World Cup break and because of the way the games are going to be operating from now until May. Um, the layout of the season is so drastically different from what we're used to. Plus, we have to play Arsenal both home and away, which is very unusual um, to be the chasing team, but still have those two games to, to play against the leaders. Um, so there's lots to be hopeful about, but yeah, a, a little to be cautious and concerned about as well, given the, the past two home games. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, Adam, if uh, City are a bit of a paradox team at the moment because yeah, they've got this uh, monster up front who keeps scoring and breaking records every you know every time he enters the, the pitch. Um, but uh, I'm wondering if they're almost struggling to adapt to to life with a, a, a centre forward in that sense. They've spent so long playing without a recognised centre forward, and, and they've spent so long not having a system where. They have somebody who is who is just doing that business up front and not really coming back and getting involved in the play. That you know, it's taking a bit of time to adapt to. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to say that it's not paradoxical at the moment. To be honest, whichever way you look at it, um, obviously we've had strikers in the past in the Pep era, Gabby Aguero, um, but it's been a different profile of striker. You know, this man's a proper thoroughbred target man. He is scoring goals, but I think I said it earlier on in the season, uh, even after the first few games, which we won most of, but we, it was evident then, before perhaps the drop-off in form, that we had sacrificed an element of control in games that we play. And I think that's starting to show now when we play against deep blocks. Because when you think about what fans were saying when we signed Haaland, 
it was, oh, you know, he's going to turn those games around for us in the Champions League, for instance, the Madrid tie last year, where it's open. And you know it's going to be an open game because it's two top sides. I still think that's true. But I don't think what was taken into consideration much was how it's going to fare against your Brentford, your Everton's, you know, these types of games where we have now lost. I don't know if it's true, but I would possibly wager we've now dropped more points at home this season than we did all of last. Might be wrong in saying that, so don't quote me on it, but it feels that way. (laughs) It does feel that way. Um, So it is a cause for concern, but then you obviously have to look around Haaland and how are the players performing around Haaland? Because you would think how good we are on the ball. You know, I've seen times where City have gone down to 10 men, even this season, really, and we've still managed to keep the ball, if nothing else. So you've got to look at the nine players outfield around him as well and say, well, how, how are they performing to his strengths? Yeah. And one way you could say as well, they're performing well because they're making the assist for him to score the goals. But are they doing much themselves? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's possibly where the problem lies. Yeah, I was going to say about this, Kieran. Does do, do the the rest of the team need to learn to play to Haaland's strengths more, or is it a case of Haaland needing to adapt in to be able to to help the team more? Um, I think it's a bit of both, David. Um, Haaland's strengths. I think the team certainly in the autumn, uh, you felt that they had they had melded together so well that they were able to um, to tease out his strengths and. You know, like, didn't he get something like three hat tricks in a row, or you know, something, something along those lines? Um, so I, I just don't know whether that the World Cup has caused a kind of a bit of a, um, a, a mental block for some of the players, and um, whether the some players have come back in a little bit of a, um, a different way than where they were before. I mean, we're talking about momentum, and I know we lost the, the last game before the World Cup, um, but just that kind of that way of playing, that knowledge of where we were with Haaland, um, everything seemed to be going in the right direction, um, barring that that crazy result against the Bees. Um, but I don't know if Haaland is kind of... Um, I don't know whether the personnel kind of setup and the way Pep is choosing the team at the moment is going to play to his strengths. I don't know about the Grealish Mares um Haaland kind of trifecta certainly against uh Everton's back five or back eight, as Pep said on match of the day. Um I don't know if that was the the right sort of setup. I, I think we needed maybe some more dynamism, um, and that attempt to sort of slow the game down as as such just didn't really offer anything when when the block was so heavy. Yeah, um, I mean it's it, it is interesting, Adam, that you mentioned Aguero as well because there there was there were this sort of there were these sorts of teething problems when Guardiola first arrived with how he wanted to set up with Aguero in the team, and I'm wondering if we. Kind of, I wonder if we'll just kind of relive that period again. It, we have those teething problems, and then it all goes away. You know, when they when they get to know each other a bit better. Yeah, that's very valid. But I mean, you still got to look at it. At the end of the day, ninety percent of this team have played together last season, and then maybe eighty percent the season before that, and before that, and before that. And in Pep's first season, we had a bit of an old and slightly decrepit defence that was just leaking goals. So, like, you know, there's two ways. I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think like. This season, at points, we've looked more imperious than we ever did in Pep's first season. Like, you look at the Derby, 6-3, blew a team away. Haaland hat-trick, Foden hat-trick. Foden hat-trick, which means he should be playing. So, Mm. that's a separate issue. Well, we'll Um, come to that in a bit, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I I don't really know. Like I said, you know, at the start, 
Aguero and Jesus are a different profile of striker. And to me, you look at the profile of striker Haaland is, yeah, he's a pure box striker. You compare him to maybe someone like Van Nistelrooy. A striker like that needs service. And when I look at the Everton game, okay, so you can even go as, I like Nathan Ake, don't get me wrong, I really do. But Cancelo wasn't present on the pitch. He provides so much service to Haaland. If some of it goes wayward or hits the first man, he still manages to get some crosses onto his head. De Bruyne wasn't putting many balls into him. And you look at like someone like Ake at left-back, he's not going to actually provide much for Haaland. And I think the Guardiola systems that we've implemented over the years, the fullbacks have been some of the most crucial positions to bearing fruit for the attackers, if you know what I mean. And I think the fullbacks, really, I, I really like Rico Lewis, and I think he's going to have a fantastic career. But I also think going forward, he didn't, he wasn't allowed to provide much in that Everton game. And I think that was a real weakness. Yeah. So for me at the moment, the main issue, it was so long ago, I can't remember the Brentford lineup, but like it seems, it, it seemed to me in the Everton game, like it, it was a case of poor selection, both at fullback and moving forward on the left and right hand side of the pitch as well. Um, and I think that will change for the Chelsea game. Yeah. Well, let's let's touch on the width, Kieran, because you mentioned um, the the Mares and Grealish uh, additions to the uh, the Haaland uh, factor in the front line. Uh, Adam there has mentioned the fullbacks. Um, have City got a width issue at the moment? Is is is, is that what it is? Grealish and Mares might be good against you know a team that's going to press like Leeds did, but then when it comes to Everton and and a team showing no interest in pressing until you get near their own box, there's not really that space for them. Well, it, it was interesting, actually, because against Leeds, the way the back line was stretched across the pitch and then allowed Rico Lewis to sort of go in beside Rodri, um, that really worked nicely because Leeds had set up so narrow that allowed um, an unbelievable amount of width. And I think Grealish, although he didn't miss a few chances against Leeds, but he got those two assists and he was heavily involved in the game. But... Everton were so disciplined in their setup and so well oiled, really, and well organized um, that the inverted setup, and I suppose Rico Lewis's kind of um, lack of experience, I thought, showed a little bit too. Um, I thought, I, I, I don't know where he was for their goal. Um, and Akanji was kind of caught in two minds because he didn't. He didn't know whether to go with their overlapping runner or whether to stay with uh, Damari Gray. And that afforded Damari Gray time to slip over and still score an unbelievable goal. Um, So City have gone for this kind of stretch the back line across the whole width of the pitch and then move into a sort of box midfield with Rico Lewis sitting beside Rodri. And that is obviously going to lead to to problems with width. Um, If your fullback who's young and inexperienced is inverted in such a way. Um, and then because Rodri gave the ball away for their goal and Rico Lewis was up alongside him, it just left us unbelievably stretched for, you know, for uh, coming back on their counter. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, this, we've touched upon it already, like the Grealish and Mares, um duo on either side of the pitch. They just, they've got, they've got great strengths. Don't get me wrong. But as, as you've said, do they, uh, do they need somebody going around the outside of them? Basically, do they need well, fullbacks who are going to get around the outside if they're going to cut in? Well, Adam touched upon it. Um, I watched Grealish kind of pick up the ball uh, on Saturday and point to Nathan Ake to go on an overlapping run. Um, and then Ake did kind of follow those instructions, but Grealish had actually instruct a fullback 
Uh, and I, I mean, Adam touched upon it. I love Nathan Ake. He's playing so unbelievably well, but he's not a natural left. He's not a natural left back. Um, he's dependable. He's doing really well, and he's been one of our players this of the season really so far. Um, but when you're looking for width, and you're having to instruct your left back to go on an overlapping run, um, so, something's a bit concerning there, isn't it? Um, and I don't know what kind of. I, I, Rico Lewis's form is obviously keeping Walker out of the team as well as Walker's kind of injury uh, record this season hasn't been too great. And I think it's nice that he's resting. Um, but I, I think it's probably time to to get the gang back together, really, in terms of the Cancelo-Walker uh, fullback situation. Because, yeah, the lack of width on Saturday w- was, was a big concern, really. Yeah, Adam, just on the fullbacks as well, you mentioned Ake before and wanting to see Cancelo. Um, obviously, from, from left-back, Cancelo tends to come inside anyway. Um, would that would that be a case then of wanting to see more Lewis around the outside on the right-hand side, just to, just to give at least width on one side of the pitch? Yeah, I think it always is the case where it's just width on one side and then we revert to a bat three on the ball, which you can say in one way, you know, that works well with Ake because he is a centre-half. So if you go to a bat three, it works quite well in that respect. But... Look, I guess the point I was thinking of, and I thought of it the other day, is like, let's say we put this squad uh, into last season's final day against Villa, right? And we're 2-0 down, and we need to make subs. And rather than Zinchenko, Ake comes on at left-back, right? We are finished. That's the best way I can put it, because that assist that Zinchenko got to Rodri, Ake pull up and be out for six weeks if he attempted that. So like <laughs> it's it's just like that that that's my main cause for concern. It's the adaptability of the fullbacks and I miss Zinchenko in that respect. I think Lewis has similar elements to his game that Zinchenko did, but obviously on the right hand side of the pitch. So it, yeah, it's a balancing act. I'd say, you know, usually with City and this is why it comes into the wing combo. I don't think we can ever really get away with Grealish and Mahrez now at the current state those players are at and the way that they play football. I think we need to at least have one of Foden or Alvarez playing on the on the wide side of the pitch just to have that sort of dynamism, like Kieran said, the ability to take someone on and do something yourself. So that way then we can play with at least one fullback who's overlapping and then revert to a back three. I think that's the way we've got to go about it. Um, but yeah, I, I just think this season... Uh, and maybe we'll we will touch on it later, but I did just want to say, I think Zinchenko, after watching the Everton game, in terms of the way that we control the ball and maintain the press against the back line of 10, bank of 10, I think we miss Zinchenko massively when Cancelo's not there. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's been evident as well, I think, with uh, with the fullback issues they've had this season that uh, even just another body might have been nice at some point. <laughs> You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. 
Kieran uh, Adams uh, talking about Foden there, so let's uh, let's touch on this. Um, have a listen to this. This uh, this is uh, Guardiola speaking after the game. He was asked by Jack Gorn about fitting Haaland and Alvarez in the team together uh, and whether that would break down a low block. But I wonder if the second answer that he gives here might be uh, might be something that could be aimed at Foden. Yeah, it can happen because you have the tendency. Okay, the ball arrived there. Like you have two strikers, you're going to score goals. But to create these chances, you have to make the process. In the process, sometimes you need another type of players to create these chances. If I had the feeling we create these chances to do the process and you have a two or three like Gundogan in the box, that's top. But uh, maybe you are there with Haaland and all the process is incorrect. We have a lot of people up front. We allow more transitions because our process is good. And I still have a problem. So, But of course, he can play together. Especially defence against five in the back, that we can play together. What sort of impact does that have on, on the midfield? Because obviously Rodri would, would probably play in a, in a two, but then there's De Bruyne and Gundogan and Silva and all play. It must be quite difficult to then choose who then plays in midfield. Yeah, every time it's difficult to choose for me. Every time it's difficult for me. Yeah, definitely, because always top players are not playing. But mainly lately, maybe I can get old, I look the body languages in the training sessions and everything. Because you cannot play good when the body language is not correct. And sometimes I choose the players for the body language, how they train, how happy, how help, how they are there. And this is one of the main decisions when I choose the lineup, the body language of the players. With the skills, I know how good they are. And they know what you want to do. But the body language depends on them. And sometimes they are not good. After it's more difficult. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. So that was Guardiola, obviously started by talking about Haaland and Alvarez in the team, but then it became a bit more about selection. And obviously, Kieran, I could be putting two and two together and getting 150 here, um, but... Foden hasn't been playing recently. He is obviously just back from the World Cup. The other there's other English lads who have been playing, and it could just be as simple as you know Foden's been carrying a bit of a knock as as, as it turned out to be last time he wasn't in the team for for a bit of a spell. Uh, but equally, I like Guardiola said that unprompted. I think something is going on behind the scenes, and I think that maybe is what you're alluding to. Um, Foden is. Like one of City's best ever players, um, the fans love him. He produces on the pitch. He's a generational talent, and we all love him, and we all want to see him as much. And there's hardly ever been a game where he hasn't produced something. So him not play, especially when you think about the World Cup. I mean, Adam's already talked about it. He he got a hat trick against United along with Haaland. Um, and when I think of City's brilliant autumn. Like I just think, do you remember like early on when um, the the kind of discourse was that uh, Foden wouldn't square at the Haaland in the first couple of games? Like, think about those moments where we were so kind of in charge and dominant that there were actually moments where chances were squandered because Foden was taking them on. Like, yeah, Leeds and Everton. You look at you look at the last two games. There has yeah. I can't think of a moment where somebody got to the byline and squared it for, towards Haaland. Yeah. Um, I mean, Grealish slotted it across for Haaland to score his first of the game. But 
that is so few and far between in terms of Grealish getting into those situations where you know that can happen. That was a real rarity. I know he did get an, another assist in the game, but um, <laughs> in a similar sort of fashion, as he, he, yeah. yeah. Um, but Foden is just masterful at that, and I mean, he even proved when he came on late on uh, Saturday against against Everton that it, he's a master for it. And him and Haaland had such a synergy, had such a connection, um, and they are two players who I look forward to watching playing together and for whatever reason Foden just seems to be out of favour and as you pointed out David the, that body language comment which came out of nowhere which was unprompted when you kind of scratch your head about I mean you could look at Walker not being in the team but that might be because Rico Lewis is doing well or Cancelo being kept out because Ake is doing so well and he's kind of just got his favourites at the back but when we're kind of struggling to break teams down you've got like one of the best English players of all time, who's a, a, you know a Manchester City fan, a Stockport lad. Everybody wants him on the pitch, and he's not. But like, what's up with him? So, I mean, we always go back to that no bad faces guys thing. Um, from the was that the, from the documentary? I can't remember, but it's um, yeah. Well, that that kind of like don't be making bad faces because you know Pep kind of goes off how the players are acting and and his feeling that he has. So unless unless Foden's got a little bit too big for his boots in Guardiola's eyes, or you know, there's something happening in a disciplinary manner, or maybe he's just come back from the World Cup a little bit, um, you know, you know, a little bit Marty, um, I I don't know, but um, certainly when he came on on Saturday, he, he almost changed the game. So you would like to see him back in in the team against uh, against Chelsea, I think. Yeah, Adam. The, the the truth is as well. He did come on against uh, against Everton. It was quite late, but uh, he did come on. I mean, even with the added time, it was about fifteen minutes that he got on the pitch. Why? Why was it so late? Do you think? Uh, because Pep's stubborn. We know that. And when teams aren't, even when we're winning two one in a big game, and it's a tightly contested contest, a lot of pressing. He tends to keep the team the same. If we're losing and chasing a game, he tends to keep the team the same. And I think that's got worse as the seasons have got on and his subs have tended to get later in the game. It's just the way he is. So I don't really have an answer in that respect. I don't think it's particularly down to Foden. I just think it's across the board. The time in which he makes subs is later than the average manager. And I don't really have a reason for that. But yeah, like Karen said, then Foden, he changed the game. Right, you know, to a degree, you know, there was an instance towards the end where he picked up the ball from that left-hand side and drove at the heart of the box and he got into the box. I think he might have had a shot blocked and he went out for a corner or something. But I swear, that's that's more than Grealish did all game. So at the end of the day, he needs to, he just has to play the next game. Like, there's no... It's a non-negotiable for me um, because he is that level above compared to any other wide player that we've got. He can produce that moment of magic. He's fast, technical. Yeah, um... You know, we've had, I think this has probably happened with, every, the, the, you know, the one thing we can say is this has probably happened with every player in the City team at some point. Uh, and, uh, in, you know, to different uh, degrees of frequency, but every player's had stints out of the team. This is just one for Foden. Yeah. And it has only been three games and it's after the World Cup. So you'd hope it'd, it'd turn around. Um, you know, you look at it like... I mean, it could even be know, as something as simple as, I, I don't know if you remember when Mares was... Um, uh, came back from international duty with yeah. Algeria, and, and Guardiola said, "Well, I, I was going to pick him, but then I just felt he was too sad because he was the way that Algeria was. Done. It could be, it could just be a, something as simple as that. It might not like we we could be overanalyzing something that Guardiola said. 
Yeah, genuinely, genuinely. And I think you've got to think with a manager, like he's never going to say something to bring down one of his players. There'll always be the the motive for him that is gonna it's gonna benefit the player through what he's saying. So even if you look at the Calvin Phillips thing, I am sure everyone's like, Oh my god, it, for Pep to say something like this, it's it's really bad. Like, no, in a sports science term, you know, overweight for Calvin Phillips would be like one or two pounds, something he could probably lose in a week. Like, let's ha- let's have it real. Yeah, so Calvin Phillips it- is overweight. I dread to think what he'd say <laughs> about me, you know. <laughs> you know no, that, yeah, it, it's true, though. He, he's never, ever, ever, he's always going to protect the players and every top-level manager is because they're not stupid. You know, they're in this position of authority and they've got a team and they want to keep them tightly knit. And ultimately, that's what's going to win your trophies. So everything he's saying is going to be to the benefit of the player at the end of the day. So whether Foden has had a disciplinary problem or whatever, you know, he's still young. Pep will know that. And it's something, like, he will be back in the team. It was just extremely frustrating the other day to see him not on the pitch and then the way we were playing. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to finish this bit of the show, uh, Kieran. But we've, we've had a we've had a good moan for the last kind of 20-odd minutes. Um, and uh, like I, I just want to finish the show with a bit of perspective because, as we said at the start, seven points to the top with, you know, playing the top of the table twice is uh, is no uh, is no huge gap to overcome. Um, certainly not after 16 games. But, I like, I keep seeing these... Uh, I keep seeing posts on uh, social media about um, how fans who are complaining about the uh, the current situation about how how things didn't quite go to plan against Everton they still got a point but you know it, it wasn't all three and seeing things like you know people suggesting that uh, the actual bad times were, were were suffering games like losing 5-2 to Leicester that that really embarrassing <laughs> one in a in a season where City went on to win the league do you, do you know what I mean like there's maybe, maybe I'm just feeling old but uh, you know the, I, I seem to remember a lot tougher times a, 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 you know, slightly further back than that 5-2 to Leicester but not, <laughs> not even like even even like post takeover era you know yeah um I, I mean, thinking about the relegations and <laughs> being in the third tier, and like th- those, those were difficult times. Um, I mean, you can there's smile plenty, about it pl- now. There's plenty the of things you could pick, terrible. isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and but I always think about that um, that five two against Leicester as a massive, massive turning point and uh, a, a point where the Pep era this kind of new pep era of control and defensive shape and panic and not making substitutions. I think it started on that day. So even though that you, was... You mean the day he took Fernandinho off after 50 minutes and brought yeah, Liam Delap on? I put Liam Delap <laughs> on, yeah. Uh, I think that is when um, he stopped making crazy subs and he, he looked around and, you know, for the rest of the season, what was it Dan Burke said? Um, we played under laboratory conditions because it was behind closed doors. Uh, and it was all about putting the shackles on, shoring up the defence, stopping counterattacks. Um, and when you think of games like 1-0s against Chelsea or do you remember that derby um, where we absolutely dominated, but it finished 2-0 and we, like, we could have absolutely gone for the juggler. Yeah. Um, I think that all comes down to that panic that day when we were destroyed by Leicester because of some, you know, some mad substitutions and some mad changes. Uh, he doesn't want madness anymore. He wants complete control and dominance. And sometimes, sometimes that makes it look boring, and sometimes that like uh, slows everything down to a tempo that's 
uh, hard to watch and hard to compute as a as a paying fan and as a, an adoring fan. Um, but yeah, if if that Leicester game was seen as the bad times, uh, I think a lot of goods come from it. But also, what, there were a lot worse times that we could really be looking at. What's What's your worst time, Kieran? What would you say that your worst time is? Um, the, like relegations. I th- Do you know what? I the relegations in '96 was really hard to stomach. But I remember being kind of old enough um, then for the next relegation when, when I was in secondary school and well-established and, um, you know, able to talk about football and hold it down and everybody sort of knew me as a, as a City fan. Uh, that was really, really difficult to go down then when you kind of just knew the inevitable was happening. What's and I just, wh- thought, I just thought, you know, like having gone down and come up once, that going down um, and coming up again just seemed a little bit too far, too far but um, we did it and it was all right in the end. Yeah, Adam, what about you? You're, I, I, I'm guessing you're, sli- you're slightly younger than us, so I'm guessing you don't remember those earlier relegations. No, I think what was my darkest hour as a City fan? I don't know. Uh, probably when we failed to sign Messi. Like <laughs> 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 One way of looking at that Leicester game, though, just like it is it's the luxury that he was actually afforded that people forget that we don't have now. So after that Leicester game, and I know because I was working there and the next morning I got a text saying what was happening. Uh, he literally, after that game went, right, get me Ruben Diaz. I've had enough. That was basically what happened. <laughs> and then that's where that control came. Like it genuinely is what happened. It tipped him over the edge. Um, and then, yeah, you know, that's where that control came. But a point to make about that just really quickly and I guess it's just a questionnaire for you, is like, what would win now? The pet blueprint of now, where it's nullifying the opposition and it's almost total control in, def- in a more defensive sense, or the Centurions? Because I know who I think would win if both teams played each other. Mm. So it's like another way of looking at it. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of want a bit of the the width and the... Bit of the old flareback. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I do. Those were the best I days. I mean, yeah. talking about the worst days, like they... They were unbelievable days. Oh, every game ridiculous. was breathtaking, and and you just were so excited to see City play. You know, every three days or whatever it was, yeah. Um, because some madness was going to happen, and it was just gorgeous football. Like, it would absolutely take your breath away. Um, and th- this, you know, this era is, you know, is interesting, and you really get down to the nuts and bolts of, of systems, and and you look at tactics, and you know, you can really analyze what he's trying to do. Uh, but in those days, it was just speed and width and excitement and just just go for it and uh, like the results and and the trophies and the excitement that all came with it. I mean, it's, it's sort of making me hair standing in. Not even just talking about it. It was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's another problem that's come up in the last few years with uh, with control. Certainly, I don't remember this as as uh, as much as uh, back then as I as I seem to do now. But time wasting was on everybody's radar on New Year's Eve. That was with Everton being the latest side who seemed to spend more of the game taking dead balls and getting treatment than actually playing football. City fans have seen some pretty big examples of teams running the clock down in previous seasons. So I've been speaking to the former Premier League referee Mark Halsey to discuss what can actually be done. Fans pay a lot of money to go and watch football, and we want to see the ball in play a lot longer so it, it, it is difficult and I think if you look at it every every team does it every team does it whether you know it be Liverpool Arsenal Man City Chelsea and at the bottom you know teams that are, that are fighting down the bottom as well and listen sometimes you want to even as a referee I was I was quite pleased because I needed a breather as well and so 
Um, yeah, it, it is difficult. I mean, as, as referees are on on those situations have got to be proactive and not reactive in those situations. And I, I think one of the main things is time wasting by the goalkeepers, and they all do it. They all do it. And you have a look at the next game: a goalkeeper they catch the ball with no one around him, and then he will fall to the ground and stay on the ground for 10, 15, 20 seconds, have a little look around, then get up with the ball. And remember, the law is six seconds. And listen, we, you know, we, we don't stick to that because you don't go looking for trouble and you, you apply common sense. And as I say, they've got to be proactive and not reactive by, you know, straight away giving, talking to the, the players, involving the captains to say, hey, listen, look, we've got to hurry up on our throws, we've got to hurry up on our goal kicks and we've got to get the goalkeeper to release it earlier. Otherwise, I could end up giving an indirect free kick. But I think one thing that also we could look at is an individual timekeeper. We have an independent timekeeper that solely starts and stops, starts and stops the, 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 the clock. And we can all see the clock in the stadium. So we all know how long there is to go. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask about the uh, the kind of timekeeping element of the game because you're you know you're in the middle. You've got to keep your eye on on everything that's uh, that that's going on from both teams. You've also got the pressure then of, of of starting and stopping a watch to time the stoppages as well as timing the, you know the ninety minutes or so. Like, how does how does that work? You you, you have two watches, do you? Yeah, yeah, obviously you have two watches. You have one that's continuously running, and the one that you start stop as an you know if there's an injury or or there's there's a goal scoring celebration or you're a, you know you're a caution in a player or there's a substitution you stop the watch for all those those sort of incidents so um it it it, it, it is difficult for 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 referees and obviously you've got your fourth official to guide you and help you along the way as well on on, on sort of timekeeping um or what what, you, what added time you're going to play I mean, I've got to say, on a few occasions, I stopped me watching. I forgot it to start it again. So players were saying to me, hey, "How long have we got left?" And you know, I'm thinking, "What? It can't be that long left because I, you know, I forgot." It's just I mean, watch ain't even moving. So unless when your official comes in and gives and gives gives you a hand and, and sort of gives you a rough idea what what to play, and you do have that conversation with your fourth official. Yeah, um, I mean, the other, the other element to this as well is um, you mentioned the goalkeepers. Uh, I, I guess the six second rule is a is a is a slight different thing to this, but the number of times when a goalkeeper will you know amble to get the ball, amble to pop it up, pop it on the six yard line, and then you know go and tap the boots on the on the post, and and just take forever to get that that ball back in play. Um, you see it kind of especially towards the end of games when when they're trying to get a result, um, but sometimes you can see it in the first half. Is it ever too early to issue a yellow card for for time wasting in that regard? Well, I think if you look at if you look at games, there's there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of time wasted in the first half, but nil nil is there. Um, I think it, a lot of it comes into the second half. They go running up in the last last twenty five minutes, and I think that's where the referees have got to be proactive. And I, and I think if that means giving an early yellow card or an early caution for time wasting, then then so be it. Because like you say. It upsets all all fans from from every club. So it, I think perhaps next season, and we've got the new head of referees coming, Howard Webb. And I think you know we'll, we'll see a you know a, a big big change in in standards. I think with Howard, um, it's not going to be an overnight fix. It's going to take time. But I think that's one of the areas perhaps where you know they 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 may look at. You know they can involve the the, the, the captains um, at their pre season meetings, speak to the club, speak to the managers and coaches and the players. And say, listen, this is one area where we need to look at, you know, the, the balls in play, an average of, of 50, 52 minutes through the season. 
we've it's got to be longer. I mean, the, the other the other as- aspect to all of this as well is um, I know I know fans get frustrated when uh, players go down injured and 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 kind of stay down, need treatment, and then it's a different player, a different player, a different player as as uh, the clock's ticking down. That there is a balance to be struck as well because the referee has the duty of care to make sure that those players are all right. So, so, so how do you kind of balance all of that to make sure that they're not, you know, taking the mickey and 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 just running the clock down, but also that they are okay? Yeah, it, it's difficult. What you got to remember is uh, the referee is not a doctor. The referee's sole prime is to ensure of player safety. Yes, players players don't help referees. Players don't help referees a bit. They go down easy. They make the job harder for the referees and they can do what they can to get what they can out, out of referees. So, you know, I think players have got to be more understanding of the position that, that the referees are in on when players go down. We, we do see players go down with head injuries and, and leg injuries, which it can be quite serious. And then other times we, we do see players go down remarkably easy, hardly been touched, as though they've been, you know, it's been a it's been a poor, poor challenge. So so as a referee, you've got to think about the player's safety and whatever the, the crowd or the players think, he's got to blow that whistle. If he thinks that player is seriously hurt and we need to get medical attention straight away, then that's the referee has to do that. Yeah, just uh, just one final question, Mark, um, because obviously we talk a, a lot about what can be done to uh, to, to stop teams uh, time wasting. Could it be as simple as just adding a, adding more time on at the end of games? We see quite regularly it's you know it's three, four, five minutes at the end of the second half. If a team's been 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 time wasting, could that could that increase like it was at the World Cup? Yeah, listen, what you got to remember: the referee is the sole judge of time, and at, at present, the referee can stop stop his watch if he feels that. Players are taking the mickey out of out of the opposition and and out of the referee. So yes, listen, you got what the referee can add as much stoppage time as he wants if he feels that that players have engaged in in, in that in that situation with feigning injuries, um, wasting time and with throws. And you know, I've seen a ball boy throw the ball back to a player and then the player throw it away. Now. When you when you see that sort of situation, I think that's when a referee should say, "Right, I'm not having that. That's not that's unacceptable. Go up and give him a yellow card. And if it's so be it, his second yellow card, then so be it. We've got we have got to try and eliminate time wasting out out of the game because it it, it does get people's backs up." This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Mark Halsey talking to me about time wasting. Um, Adam, last time you were on, we uh, we, we talked about uh, time wasting. You suggested um, a, a, a shortening the game, but having the, the the clock only running when the ball was in play. Um, I, I don't really want to go over that again because you know we we did that on the last yeah. one. But uh, at the moment, ultimately, yellow cards are not being issued enough. Um, and they're probably not being issued early enough, would you say? Yeah, specifically to goalkeepers. I think Pitford, the amount of times I've seen Pitford at the Etihad, he does it every single time. But then I look at it objectively and impartially. Would I be bothered if I supported Everton and they did it? No. So it's a power dynamic. I think you can expect the lesser teams to behave in the way that they do. Um, And, you know, even City to an extent, or the top teams, they are culpable of time wasting when it gets later in a big match and they're maybe winning by one goal and they'll they'll keep the ball, take the sting out of the game. That's a form of time wasting in itself. 
Um, Kyle, you know, Kyle Walker at Old Trafford knocking the ball back to the goal to the uh, the ball boy. The ball like, boy. We, we, we all found that hilariously funny, but like yeah, that at the Etihad when it's one all and suddenly we're 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 apoplectic. Yeah, we got our pitchforks mm. out and stuff. So there's two ways of looking at it, really, and I think it is one way you have to sort of be quite objective about it and look at it from both sides, right? It's it's either something where you look at it and you think, right, do you kill it as a whole because City have done it a bit and the lesser teams are going to do it more because they are inferior? Do you kill it on a whole, introduce a stop clock, issue more bookings, etc., etc.? That would kill it. It's just whether you do that. Um, you know, another way of dealing with it, which I really liked in the World Cup, which I don't know if you have touched on in other pods yet, but was like the ridiculous amount of added time. I think it added... It also added better, I don't know, like entertainment value and an element of jeopardy towards the game to the end towards the end of the game, which I also really enjoyed. So maybe, you know, I won't be that bothered if they just slap fifteen minutes on the end and went, right, <laughs> here you go. Like now it's an onslaught. Like that that could also fix it in terms of the psychological aspect. Yeah. My my, my only my only worry with that, and I, I don't know about I don't know about your feelings on this, uh, Kieran as well, but my only worry with that is is Everton had been had been breaking the game up throughout the game anyway. If you if the fourth official came to the touchline and showed up twenty five minutes, then what's to stop him just keep going down and keep taking forever on goal kicks and keep taking forever on throw ins throughout that twenty five minutes and we actually only play ten or whatever. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they put they pulled it off expertly it was um it was unbelievably frustrating to watch as a city fan but um it was an absolute masterclass in how to in how to waste time um but i think psych like psychology comes into things as well and in, in in terms of time in the match uh the fact that the assistant referee had some technical issue um that held up the game right after half time i think you know psychologically city wanted to come out and put down a marker and get stuck in really, really early on. Um, and because of that big stoppage, you know, that kind of killed the momentum a little bit. Everton themselves, I, I, the referee didn't have a good game at all, um, but Everton themselves going down. I mean, I didn't see this, but uh, Alex, our mate who was at the game, said at one point he saw three Everton players all down at the same time. And then they kind of looked at each other, realised other players were down. So like two of them stood up again. Um, so it was just just kind of trying to buy time. But then talking about psychology, um, once the kind of 90th minute el- elapses and you're into stoppage time, it just all get even if there's 11 minutes as it were on Saturday uh, or 15 or 25 or whatever, once it gets into stoppage time as such and the 90 minutes, if you like, it, you know, is over, then it all gets a bit frenetic, a bit panicky, a bit too intense because, y- y- you know, your kind of gameplay and your game plan goes out the window and you're just kind of like, Trying to throw the kitchen yeah. sink it's, at it. Panic stations, get everything forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. actually, um, there's ten minutes left. Yeah. So yeah, so so once you see we're in stoppage time as such, um, so yeah, it's it's a really really frustrating one. And Mark Halsey said that teams don't really tend to waste time at nil nil. Um, but I would disagree with him there. The amount of goalkeepers who I've seen at the Etihad, um, who just from very early on clearly have been told by their manager waste as much time as possible. So. He needs to when watch the... Atletico Madrid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. Um, that kind of dark arts. And, I mean, I remember Wolves doing it last season. It was probably the worst example I'd seen, but the the absolute pinnacle of the worst example I'd seen was in the 3-2 when United beat us when we were 2-0 up in the first half when we could have won the league on in the Centurion season. Um, that was an absolute Mourinho masterclass in time wasting and, and holding it up. City never got a look in that game in the second half because 
players and managers who have that development in them. They know what to do. They want to disrupt momentum. They want to put us off our stride. Uh, they know we're all about possession. They know we're all about build-up. They know we're all about um, playing together as a team and having that unity um, and kind of like death by a thousand passes and breaking down teams, almost like killing their will because they just can't get near us for so long. So if they break up and disrupt our play and our rhythm, uh, it's to their be- betterment. So, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? It's unbelievably frustrating as a City fan, but, um, you know, it's a it's a tactic that seems to be working for them. It would just be nice if we would get some help um, from the officials and um, maybe the maybe the World Cup way of, of adding more time on might be might be the solution in the future. I don't know. FIFA seemed to be cracking down on it anyway. Yeah, Adam. I, I just start on the yellow cards thing as well. I, I just wonder. It's it, it, it's interesting that we look at it in this perspective because um, ultimately, uh, like Mark Halsey was saying, that all teams time waste, and I agree with him to an extent. But I, I think some teams time waste more than others. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's, there's this element. I'm, I, what Kieran was saying there just kind of tripped something in my mind. Where like the laws of the game say that you shouldn't time waste, and that you know players time wasting can be booked. And it's it, 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 Kieran said we we almost need that help from the officials. Well, it shouldn't be help from the officials, should it? It should just be officiating the game to the to the laws of the game. And if you if it means dishing out a yellow card in the first half for time wasting to a couple of players, that might actually stop it a bit later down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a. It's not just a thing with time wasting. It's a thing with fouls in general, red card offences, anything. I think it's time barred, and I, I don't know. It's just a general feeling I have. I think the earlier on you are in a game, no matter what offence you commit, you're less likely to be booked. It's just the impression I get from having watched football for 15 years. There's instances I can remember at City where, like, I'll give you one for example that's just come to my head: Leicester away in the Centurions where we won two nil. Company just swept Vardy out in the first minute of the game, and he should have been sent off, but he wasn't. Now, if that was in the 70th minute, I think he would have been. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like the earlier on in the game, you know, it's like this whole thing, oh, I want to let the game flow. Well, you, it's the opposite of that if someone's time wasting, but you're not punishing them for it. So, yeah, I, th- I think it should just be black and white, really, especially with goalkeepers. You know, you look at, there should be a, a little mini stopwatch on the amount of time a keeper takes to kick a goal kick. You know, if you play FIFA and your goalkeeper has a goal kick, you can't just put your controller down and sit there like Jordan Pickford <laughs> did at the Etihad <laughs> and just refuses to kick the ball. It gives yeah. you a 10-second timer and then you just your player just boots it up automatically. Do something like that. And if the if you know if they take too long, book them. It's quite yeah, that has a quite a simple workaround. But yeah, I just think the general Impression I've had over years watching football is that every offence is time barred in the first half, where you're more likely to just get away with it unless it is really bad or really cynical. Um, and yeah, perhaps that needs to change. And it's just that it's that refereeing thing again of letting it flow. And we think back to the Liverpool game this season, like they let it flow, they let it flow, they let it flow. He was he was letting files go. There were no punishments. And until then we <laughs> until we scored, and then the ball was brought back, and 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 VAR looked at the foul, and our goal was chopped off. And it's like, what, what are you, what are you doing here, referees? Like, um, it's just, it, it needs to be just consistency across the board. Instead of sometimes I will do this because it's at a certain time in the game. Sometimes I will do this because I'm letting it flow. Sometimes it's just, it needs to be kind of one rule across the board. But then human error comes in, and uh, and referees want to kind of let us enjoy the spectacle a little bit more. But where does it end? One yeah. thing I will say though is, if there was more bookings in a game. 
Um, it'd make it hard e- harder for you, Karen, to come up with uh, booking-related puns on Twitter quite as frequently. <laughs> so you, you, you know, struggle in that regard. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, that, you like a challenge, don't you? Though? I do <laughs> like a challenge. That Argentina-Netherlands game in the World Cup, you know, with that mad referee, the Pep hits, um, there was like 17 bookings or something like that. I was just like, I couldn't keep up with it. it was, yeah, you landed it a creative like, writing job after that. After that yeah. <laughs> It was like I, being a chef at a restaurant, you know, all the dockets coming in, I couldn't cope. I don't, I don't know if you saw ESPN tweeted over the uh, over the new year um, that uh, that referee in particular had dished out 34 yellow cards in his last two games. I just thought, good God, man. <laughs> the book's wow. never out of your pocket. It's never, never in your pocket, goodness He's mate. an addict, him, isn't yeah. he? Um, one one final thought on time wasted. I just wondered if we could borrow this from uh, from other sports because, um, Kieran, how how about this? And uh, every now and then, football goes through a radical law change. I don't know if you remember in the in the early two thousands, we went through a spell of every time players showed dissent, a free kick was moved forward ten yards. Yeah. Um, and that was that that was kind of a bit of a radical change that it never really never really took hold. But you know, you think back to to other changes, the pass back law that that you know that's that's been a huge success. It's, ch- it's changed football. Um, you know, offside changes uh, pretty much all the time. I was just wondering, with time wasting, if you could just do something as simple as you have X amount of seconds to take a free kick, you have X amount of seconds to take a goal kick or a throw in, and if you don't do it in that time, the decision is reversed. So the throwing goes the other way. The free kick becomes a free kick the other way. The goal kick becomes a, a corner. It just like other sports do things like that. Yes, I I would like to see things like that. Um, it'd be a bit of it would be a bit of crack for the first <laughs> in the first protocol, um, seeing things changing over and seeing the referees actually take hold of um, this time wasting thing. But I don't know if it's just us as kind of like luxury spoiled city fans who get the time wasted against us so often that we want to see these rule changes implemented. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the Everton fans who were there on Saturday probably enjoyed every second that was wasted because, you know, it's thwarted City and, and they, they came away with a point in the game. Um, so as much as we would like to see these things changed, uh, it, it would suit us. Um, but yeah, something needs to happen and there needs to be more more punishment and more sanctions for it. Um, but... I, I really don't know. Mark Halsey seems to think Howard Webb's going to come in and sort everything out. Uh, but haven't seen Howard Webb officiate. I don't know if I would be putting all my uh, all my hopes on him. But um, it would be nice if it would be nice if something changed. But I, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Well, uh, let's uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, the coming games. We've got a double header against Chelsea coming up, Adam. Um, it's it, it's a difficult one to talk about this, and I apologise entirely for having to do it this way because it's my terrible scheduling on the podcast. But we've got uh, we've got Chelsea, Chelsea, Southampton to squeeze in now. Um, after the Everton result, uh, like h- how much a, a, a City's games in inverted commas must win? Because we we talked about it being sixteen points, uh, sixteen games played, seven points. Arsenal should drop points at some point in the season, but City need to be in a position to be able to capitalise on that. Yeah, we've got to win every game now. They're a serious team. I think I said maybe a month ago, six weeks ago on this podcast, I think it was after maybe the Liverpool game that I was quite relaxed and I was like, you know, they will drop points, but I think if they, generally speaking, keep their first 11 fit, they can rotate in the Europa League. I, I think their first 11 at the moment beats ours, which is quite worrying. I'd, uh, and things can change. Here's the thing, right? So the 2021 season that was in COVID, 
we had a really slow start, worse than this. And like you touched on, the Leicester 5-2. And it actually was bad until around Christmas time. We drew it home to West Brom, one all. And I was like, bloody hell, like, we might not get a top four here. And at that point, Liverpool had quite an assailable lead at the top. And then we went to Stamford Bridge and we blew them out the water, 1-3-1. And then the rest was history from there. Like, we just went mm. on the, that ridiculous streak. Stamford so Bridge on Thursday. They, exactly. <laughs> there you go. So, like, poetically speaking, perhaps this is the time we turn it around and put that... You know, you always think about Pep and City. Like, we tend to go on a ruthless streak around winter where we just, like... 20 games, all competitions unbeaten. Maybe we'll do that and it'll catch them and then we obviously have to play them. But I'm worried at the moment about whether they just keep their players fit. And Because the thing is, I think Pep said it as well, and it's true, psychologically speaking, if you've not been there, quote-unquote, before at the top um, and you're chasing that first title, psychologically you're, gonna, you're just going to naturally have that little bit more hunger that perhaps we won't because we've done it four times. So it is a must-win. Um and I think the one thing that's to our benefit is because Chelsea are at home, they've got a new manager themselves, you know, fresh players, their fans aren't going to accept them sitting back. And I think a more open game suits us better with the firepower yeah. we've got. I'm so not expecting I think, a low block here. Absolutely. So I actually do think we're going to win against Chelsea. But in terms of putting that run together, this is where the consistency really needs to be struck now. It really, really is. Yeah, Kieran, I don't want to. I don't want to worry you. Um, but uh, listen to this: Chelsea, Chelsea, Southampton, United, Spurs, Wolves, Spurs. Um, that City's run coming up. Well, you have worried me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's not it's not pleasant, is it? I I uh, after Brentford beat Liverpool last night, I looked to see when City play Brentford again, uh, and we've got them the last game of the season. But the second last game is Chelsea. The third last game is Everton. The fourth last game is Leeds. And it's just like, no, there's no such thing as easy games anymore in the Premier League. Um, or even, as it turns out, the FA Cup or the Carabao. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, have, some... have, have City been better against the better teams this season? The teams that aren't going to sit deep and, and, and just and play a low block. The teams that are a little bit more open and, and are going to attack them, City have done quite well against yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but I'm trying to think about our games against the sort of top six uh, this season and who have we played. Beat United 6-3. Um, Drew in Newcastle. Beat by Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, Drew against Newcastle. Um, haven't played Spurs yet, haven't played Arsenal yet, haven't played Chelsea yet. Uh <sighs> So I don't know if we've done better against the better teams, David, because we haven't really played that many of them yet. All right, yeah, good point. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, well, this this time will tell now, won't it? And Adam's point there actually gave me a lot of optimism when I think about the the kind of pandemic season. We did go to Chelsea and we did really, really take it to them. And from then, that winter was, was just amazing. I mean, it was hard to watch the football um, in those conditions, just like on the laptop behind closed doors all the time. Uh, and the atmosphere was a bit strange and a bit dead. But uh, when we went on that roll, um, it was just, we we were unstoppable, really. It was absolutely incredible. I think we we had a record break in January that year where um, nobody had ever won as many games in January, but that's because the, the fixtures were so condensed. But I suppose the fixtures are going to be so condensed this year too. Um yeah, so uh, I mean, I am worried looking at those fixtures on paper, but um, let's just see. We 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 possibly will benefit from from openness against those teams, and uh, and 
hopefully be able to do something. Yeah, if they're good enough, they'll do it. That's the mm. uh, that's the motto, isn't it? That's um, the mantra. Yeah, uh, Adam. Just in terms of uh, of selection for these games, um, De Bruyne looked absolutely. I, I, he just looked completely out of sorts against Everton. Uh, Rodri gave the ball away for um, for the equalising goal. There's going to come a need for rest for some of these players uh, over the over the January spell, but also there's going to be a need for rhythm. And I'm thinking for rhythm, I'm thinking like Walker, Cancelo, Foden, players that haven't really played at the moment. Uh, like, how, how do you see him balancing the selection over the two, especially the two Chelsea games, given it's the same opposition? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think in the league, he has to go for the jugular now because of the seven-point gap um, and because it's always the primary competition. No matter where we are in the standings, you've just got to, you've got to have good league form. It's the basis for everything else. So Walker, Cancelo, Foden, these are nailed on first-teamers in my eyes and I would say in most fans' eyes. Um, I don't think people expect us to be going to Stamford Bridge with Lewis and Ake at left uh, full-backs again. Um, and in terms of De Bruyne, you know, he has been a bit out of sorts, particularly in the Everton game, but he just has to play against Chelsea because he seems to just go up that, it's incredible to say because of the player he is, but just that le- that extra little level, um, probably because of the history between him and the club. So he has to play. Foden has to come back in. Um, and then after that, you know, maybe the rotation will just have to come in the cups because of the sheer magnitude of the games, the magnitude, the like frequency of the games that we've got. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of structure, you know, 4-3-3 is generally what he's also going to have to go with now as well. I think moving forward, not to tinker with it too much. I look back to the Anfield game, which was obviously a huge game in October, I think it was. And... You know, even though you could say we were the better team on the day, it wasn't a system that the players were used to. And ultimately, I just think if you're going to try all new systems, you do it in games where you feel you can get away with it. And I don't feel like Chelsea away is one. So I'd like to see a similar structure, 4-3-3, get the big guns back in and let's take the game to them. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Well, uh, after all of that as well, after the double header with Chelsea, uh, and before our next podcast, because Idiot here didn't think about the fixtures when he brought this episode forward, um, City travelled to Southampton in the Carabao Cup. To find out more about the Saints so far this season, I've been speaking to Sam Ty from the Ranks FC podcast and the Southampton magazine. Yeah, not a good season so far. Uh, not the most enjoyable season to be writing about the club every week. Uh, I think it's okay to say that. Um, currently on a five-game loss streak and... Obviously, lost 11 games so far this season. Bottom of the table with 12 points from 17 games is not great. Um, it has felt a little bit like a mess at points for various different reasons. And I think something we, we a lot of people talked about over the course of the summer was what kind of an impact a bad summer can have on Leicester City. That was kind of like the main uh, the, the talking point. There were, Leicester City was held up as a team that had a really tumultuous summer and how that could very, very easily bleed into the campaign and onto the pitch. And Southampton had similar problems, really. Um, and it just kind of flew under the radar a little bit, I guess. But Southampton obviously changed ownerships recently, uh, put in the new ownership, new director, new everything, really, in terms of the front office. Um, got a little bit of money to play with in the summer and, you know, tried to shift towards a, a youth policy of, of buying, you know, well, mostly city youngsters, yeah. <laughs> um, but youngsters in general and shifting much towards the the younger sphere. That's fine, but maybe they didn't quite uh, purchase the experience that usually accompanies um, s- such inexperienced players. But beyond that as well, they were, they were very undecided on the future of Ralph Hasenhutl. 
all through 2022, all through the back end of last season, all through the summer, they kind of eventually went, yeah, all right, then we'll just stay with you for a bit. But it never really felt like their heart was in it, you know, from the top. And it didn't, it, it sort of felt inevitable that at some point in the first 10 games or first 15 games, Ralph Hasenhutl would be sacked. And then it was a case of, well, if you didn't really have that much faith in them to begin with, like, is there, was there any reason to really begin with this in the first place? Have you, have you cost yourself time? Have you set yourself back? I think that's definitely proven to be the case. And just the general uncertainty at the, at the club has really, really had an impact on everything, not just the, the results and the performances, but like the atmosphere at St. Mary's and, and, and all of the intangibles, it's all been affected by a summer of uncertainty and, 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 and sort of will will they won't they will they won't they, and I think I think really when you point to cases like this, Southampton, Leicester, I think Chelsea are suffering from the same thing. It all stems stems back to how the club is is being run and set up, and you set yourself up for success, or sometimes failure. Yeah, um, I, I was going to ask about the change of manager. Has much changed in the in the time since, or is it are those problems still persisting? It's got worse, um, unfortunately, for now, short term. It's definitely got worse. I mean, no one's really holding the you know the Nathan Jones debut game against him, which was the three-one loss at Anfield. Um, I mean, coming into that off the back of being you know beaten by Newcastle pretty soundly and hasn't Huttle losing his job. I don't think anybody was expecting Southampton to go to Anfield and pull up any trees. Um, but then obviously he gets a four to five week period to work with the team. They beat Lincoln City in the Carabao Cup just before the, the proper Premier League return. But there are question marks about that performance and they concede within three minutes or something. And it's a ridiculous, like ridiculous own goal where I think it's Maitland-Niles slices a clearance from a corner up back into the air towards his own goal. And Bazunu kind of like fumbles it into the net. And it's like, that's three minutes in after four weeks prep. Uh, what kind of tone does that set? And then you go into Brighton and Bazuna makes another mistake and lets a, an early goal in, a really soft one. And Fulham happens at the weekend, and they're actually they're actually all right against Fulham. They, they were arguably slightly the better side in a game where neither of the two teams played particularly well. But Che Adams misses a one-on-one, which could be a one, which could make it one-nil to Southampton, which is huge. And then another bizarre goal where you know the Fulham clip a ball to the edge of the box. Andreas Pereira takes a pretty hopeful strike from 18 yards and it flicks off James Ward-Prowse and goes into the net. Own goal. Southampton cannot stop giving away cheap goals and making mistakes. And like, no matter what Nathan Jones does here in terms of changing the tactical setup, changing the formation, trying to change the mentality, like if you are playing from one behind in the Premier League, you are going to struggle. You cannot play like that. So he's trying, but whether it's his fault or not, the team are making some pretty boneheaded errors quite regularly and it's really hurting them. You know, you can't really play from behind. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I'm just looking at the run of fixtures. I'm, I, I mean, the the classic question is is around whether the Cups are, are a welcome distraction. Um, but just looking at the fixtures around this City game, uh, there's there's Nottingham Forest at, at St Mary's um, before the yeah. game. Uh, Everton, you know, uh, that's a that's a trip away. Aston Villa coming to St Mary's, and then not long after that, you know, Wolves coming to St Mary's. It's a really key time, isn't it? It is, yeah. I, I mean, yes. You, it's obviously when you're down there, it's about trying to pick up those points against the teams around you. Um, there was once upon a time Southampton were a team that was sort of set up 
to actually take it to big teams and and they were would quite frequently go to a place like Old Trafford or Anfield and actually and, and dig out a result one or maybe even three points and obviously they've had a few of those days against City in in the recent history but, but right now this Southampton team do not feel like a team have any chance against the top order simply because they cannot score goals um, they're once again way under their expected goals as a team they're missing too many chances and if you're consistently giving up one goal a game in a bizarre fashion and you can't finish your chances, then I'm afraid the top teams are going to put you away far too easily. So, you know, the, the focus then settles on those around you that you can beat by one goal. Who can we beat by one goal? Who can we who can we beat one nil? You know, can we have a good defensive game and sneak one? That's kind of where they are right now. And Nottingham Forest is absolutely huge if Forest get anything from that game based on how bad they are away from home this season it will be real panic stations because the fans I've got to tell you mate the fans are already with what four games in on Nathan Jones and the fans are really unconvinced about him seriously seriously worried about the levels the team is showing him he changes formation every like 15 minutes and again when you have four weeks to prepare and then you concede a soft goal against Brighton and then concede and then change formation four times in a game. People are rightly asking, what were you doing during the World Cup? Because this definitely doesn't look like a plan. Yeah. And uh, and of course, uh, we mentioned before that, that Southampton had caused uh, City problems last season. Uh, yeah. If if that's going to happen again, um, like who are the players that are going to do it? Because it sounds like like pretty much everybody's out of form at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most people are out of form, unfortunately. Um, I, I think... You know, City City have struggled with Southampton on on occasion over the last three to four years under under Ralph Hasenhuttle, uh, because they have under Hasenhuttle been a very aggressive um and confident side in stepping out and trying to hunt the ball. Uh, and Hasenhuttle is the kind of manager who really likes playing against the Man Cities of the world because City like to circulate the ball in build up, which gives Southampton the opportunity to go and attack it and try and f- and try and try and create turnovers. So I think where City have struggled, I don't know how your perspective lies on this, but where City have struggled against Southampton at times has been the intensity and the boldness and the bravery of that pressing and that willingness to go and take the game to City. I don't think you're really going to see that from Southampton this time around. They're a much more passive side now uh, under Nathan Jones. He wants to lean more on a kind of mid-block, as you'd probably call it. Not necessarily a low block, but he wants to play back three um, and sort of sit off and not press too high. He wants to constrict the, the space in the middle. Fine, fair enough. And he wants to play the, the three centre-backs. So you're looking at a more cautious team now. Uh, I would argue that even playing cautiously, Southampton, if they invite that pressure against a team like City, they probably can't hold out. So it's going to be, for the first time in a while, I guess, quite a different experience for City fans watching their team against Southampton. And I know that obviously City have beaten Southampton quite soundly a few times over the last three, four years. Sometimes it's a, it's a three, four niller. But they always make it a fight um, and they always push up and they always press on and they always try and ruffle the feathers. And, and you know, it's a risky game. Sometimes it goes wrong. Sometimes it gets you a result like it did last year. Um, we're not going to see that. We're not going to see that same fight, I don't think. We're going to see a much more cautious and passive team. And, you know, Nathan Jones right now in training, I assume, is just trying to get them all to stop committing very basic errors to stop shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. Um, well, Sam, we've got the charity bet coming up uh, shortly. Um, what do, where, how do you see this going? What's your score prediction? Well, uh, um, after everything I've said, it'd be, 
incredible, <laughs> incredible for me to turn around and be like, I fancy Saints 2-1. Um, look, cup game, you're right. It probably does bring a little bit of relief. Um, shackles do come off a little bit. Um, but I think there's a, there's, a, there's a fair amount of doom and gloom around Southampton at the moment. And I think City are, are just simply too strong. Uh, I will go for 2-0 to Man City. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was Sam Tight talking to me about Southampton this season. Um, Kieran, Premier League, then FA Cup, then League Cup. Um, there's no question City could win them all. Um, but uh, but do you feel they're in a position to do that at the moment? Or, or is it a case of, like Adam said uh, before we, we heard from Sam, that he needs to kind of prioritise where he, he puts his resources this week? Uh, yeah, at the start of the season, on paper, especially with the acquisition of Erling Haaland, um, I think if ever there was a time where you could look at City kind of going on to win multiple trophies in terms of uh, trebles or quadruples, if you like, um, this was the season. But as the season's kind of gone on, and as you've realised that City are, I mean, the way you opened the episode was that City are a bit of a paradox in that Erling Haaland scoring an unbelievable amount of goals, but um, our forms have been a little bit shaky and uh, it's been quite difficult to sort of grasp a, a foothold, especially when Arsenal are sort of running away with the league just at, at present. Um, so there's definitely, as you say, uh, no question it could, but um, I think the cup draws have been a bit tricky this year. So it's been, it's been harder to kind of juggle and judge and rest players um, our squad seems a little bit thinner and um, the injury problems are kind of plaguing us particularly at the back um, so it's difficult to sort of know how to rotate especially when we're changing shape and kind of bedding in players like Lewis um, or changing the sort of fullback setup or you know width versus inverted um, wingers and fullbacks and things uh, so yeah we're we're in a kind of like transitional period it feels because of because of Haaland and because of the way we're playing um but absolutely with the personnel with the management um with our track record there's absolutely no reason why we couldn't go on and do big things in every single competition it's just where are we prioritizing because the league seems slightly out of grasp just at the moment uh so are we going to kind of prioritize the cups when when we want to get a foothold in the premiership yeah, that could all change in a few weeks, couldn't it? So it's yeah. it's really difficult to, uh, to to balance out. I mean, Adam, a few people are likening this season to to nineteen twenty. That was that was the year that Liverpool ran away with it. Um, but if I'm if I'm being honest and blame my cards and say, well, I'm not there yet. I don't see it anything like that. I don't I don't feel like Arsenal are as well. First off, Arsenal are not as far ahead as as Liverpool were after after sixteen games. Um, at this stage, Liverpool was 16 points ahead of City and not seven. And they'd played City as well. So City didn't have the opportunity to directly affect them. Um, it feels like seven points is achievable uh, you know, with, with that in mind. And maybe I'm wrong here. I, I, I just don't feel like Arsenal are as relentless this season as that Liverpool side were that season. And like you fold into all of that as well. That season, I thought City's performances were generally quite bad. Whereas this this season, I think they're generally okay with the odd stinker here or there. Yeah, um, it's hard to say. I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Arsenal aren't as good as that Liverpool side. Like, that Liverpool side is... I think the Klopp era, Liverpool side, the Pep era, City side, of the, like the Centauri, around the same time, let's say, like, 2018 to 2020, 
that gap. They're the two best Premier League sides I've ever seen. We're not up against that with Arsenal. We're up against Mikel Arteta's blueprint, which is similar to Pep's. And overall, they do have an inferior squad. So, you know, you've got to also think we're not halfway through the season yet. If you can apply the context of 1920 to January, we would have been over halfway through because there was no Winter World Cup. So really, we're actually, fixture-wise, we're still in autumn. So you have to look at it that way as well. Um, in terms of the way that we play, I think we were actually better going forward. I think 1920 might have been our highest ever scoring season under Pep, to be fair. I think we were very good going forward, or at least had a lot of games where we hit sixes and sevens. We perhaps don't have that level... It sounds ridiculous to say because we have Haaland now. It sounds <laughs> stupid, but like in, in terms of like overall goal output within the squad, I don't see I don't I don't see Grealish hitting more than five goals this season. In terms of open play goals, I don't see Maris hitting more than maybe six or seven. Um, I think Foden's, to be fair, has been very good in front of goal in the in the games that he's played. Alvarez is going to pick up, so there's reason to be optimistic moving forward. And the thing is, at the end of the day, I look back. You know, we touched on the Leicester game earlier. I remember when that happened, and I flip my lid and I was I actually thought I genuinely it sounds really doom and gloom I thought Pep was gonna go after that I thought that's how bad it was I was like this like I felt like something had just gone in the dressing he'd not, room he'd not signed a contract though at that stage so, the, yeah. this is the thing yeah this is the thing so like you know we're fickle as football fans and we can be reactionary when something goes against us or when form isn't generally good but he always just turns it around and he knows more than us that is something we have to trust him like he works with those players every day um and, you know, I could be here slagging off Maris or Grealish and then the next thing you know, he gets a tune out of them and then they're one of the best players in the team. It's completely plausible. So uh, I just think, let's give it some time. Let's see where we are. I think I think we'll know a lot more about this season in two weeks' time with the amount of games coming up. Yeah. Um, still one positive to come from all of this, Kieran. Uh, if it is like 1920, City won the League Cup, so they'll get that trophy back. There we are. Ooh, our little three-handled wonder. Yeah. yeah. Um, there we have it. <laughs> it's it's nice to be it's nice to be in the where are we quarterfinals quarterfinals um, yeah yeah it's nice to be in with the shout in that competition again it was sad going out uh, at West Ham last year so yeah it's good to be in contention again for the for the main one the biggie yeah got to get it back haven't we yeah yeah. Now, so we didn't win on the final charity bet of 2022, but never mind, as we said before, there's three attempts on this week's show. William Hill has given each of us a £10 correct score single. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping Manchester Central Food Bank tackle food poverty in the city. We've raised £405 for the season so far. Uh, so let's start with Thursday's Premier League game against Chelsea. Um, Kieran, what are you going for? Uh, City to win 1-0. Uh, a tight one, but it's 7-1 uh, to one if you're right. I've gone uh, another tight one, 2-1 City. Uh, that's 15-2 to two if I'm right, 75 quid. And uh, Adam, what are you having? I've gone 3-1 City, mirroring the last time we turned the season around at Stamford Bridge. Good omens. 12-1 to one if you're right, £120. Uh, that brings us to the FA Cup tie at the Etihad uh, on Sunday. Um, for this one, I've gone for a 2-0 City win. That's 13-2 to two and £65. Adam? 2-1. 2-1 is 15-2 to two and £75. And uh, Kieran? 3-2 to City. A biggie is uh, 25 to 1, so 250 quid if you're right. That takes us to St Mary's for the Carabao Cup quarter final. Uh, for this one, we heard a bit earlier on, Sam Ty went for a 2-0 City win. That's 5-1 to one and £50. Adam? I've gone for 3-0. 3-0 is 7-1 to one and £70. Kieran? 4-1 to City. 4-1 is 16-1 to 1 and £160. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. For more on how to gamble responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. And that's the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. So thank you very much to my guests, Adam Monk. 
You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And to Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. Stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon show. We'll be back after the Southampton game next week, so we'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I remember the famous byline drawing. Uh, uh, yeah. Some dedicated City fan uh, tried to argue whether the ball was in or out and drawn a hilarious uh, illustration to highlight that point when Sterling beats John Stones at the byline. It's, it's um, the tip-ex on that drawing that makes it, though. <laughs> As if they didn't just redo it. They just yeah. kept with that and we'll tip it, tip-ex it out. So that that's always worth a laugh uh, when, when that's d- dug out. Here's a question, because they obviously they, they wanted to beat Liverpool in the final. Okay, it was on penalties, but they won the final. Were they a cup team? Well, that's that's exactly what we've 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 discovered today. That in a, in the cup, you need to ride you you look and have those big moments, and that, as I've alluded to, we've, we've had big moments in us. The, the the league campaign, you get found out, don't you? So I'm happy to have a cup team tag for that season because it was utterly bonkers, and the fact we reached our first semi final of. Um, the Champions League was unheard of, and obviously another League Cup semi, a League Cup final, which all City fans that's that's our Champions League final. I don't <laughs> care what you say. <laughs> we, we seem to love a, a, a cup keeper or a sub keeper doing their penalty save heroics, don't we? You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. Well, let's uh, let's start with um, with the way that Everton unfolded, Adam. Um, because I'm I'm wondering if City are a bit of a paradox team at the moment. Because ultimately, they've got this machine up front who keeps scoring like nobody's business. He's breaking. Oh, you're right, Kieran. Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> I flicked through the I flicked through the agenda on the Google Drive and I didn't put the audio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I can pick up. Don't worry. I just uh, just nice little curveball to throw me earlier. <laughs> I think we need to at least have one of Foden or Alvarez on that on that uh, stretch of the pitch, basically, and play wide. Sorry, I'm going to sneeze one set. Let me That's all right. <laughs> Look at the lights. <laughs> just, just tickle oh. the bridge of your nose. There you go. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> right, okay. I'll just go from Foden. We tend to play with that 4-3-3 structure. I wouldn't want that to change. Sorry, just to... Can you hear that? Yeah, good motorbike, that, is it? What is that? <laughs> oh, my God. Someone's drilling next door. Let me see. Oh. <laughs> Jesus, what is that? Plays in the team. It's completely plausible. So, uh... Ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> that was... He won't sell many ice cream corn at that speed. <laughs> <laughs>